Amen. Hey, good morning, y'all. My name, excuse me, is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. I'm super grateful and thankful that y'all are here this morning. Lots of places you could be, but the Lord has you here for a reason. I got, a, I got two little things that I want to run through before we jump into the message. The first you'll see on the screen behind me. We went out yesterday and hung these door hangers, inviting people to church in a in Spring Chapel subdivision, the corner of Warm Springs and, and Pierce Chapel Road, and, and then in Renwood across the street, kind of from the church property down uh, Flat Rock Road. <clears throat> and, you know, I just know in God's sovereignty that somebody's going to pull that, uh, that little door hanger off of their front door, and they're going to think, that's unbelievable. We've been talking about getting back to church, or we've been talking about going to church. Hadn't been in 25 years. That's just the way God does stuff. And so I want to ask y'all, when we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep hanging these up in neighborhoods. And if you, uh, if you feel led, and I hope you do, that, then if you want to jump in and, and help us do that, um, email info at churchonthetrail.org. But what I want to ask you to do, maybe even really more than that, is I want you to pray for that effort. I want you to pray that, uh, and on, on all of this, it's, it's not to build up one little local church. It is to lead lost people into a saving relationship with the creator of the universe. That's, that's the point. So I would ask you if you would pray with me about that. If you're driving down this week, if you're driving down Warm Springs Road and you go by Renwood subdivision, just pray for the people in that subdivision that they would, if they don't know the Lord, that they would come to know him. If they have kind of wandered and strayed, that God would reel them back in. Put the want, ask God to put the want to in the hearts of the people in this area around our church. Um, so, I'll, as a matter of fact, I want to pray for that real quick, and then I got one more thing. Lord, we come to you today, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would prick hearts, that you would transform minds, that people that don't know you in our immediate area, Lord, that something would get inside of them, that you would, uh, you would get inside of them and, 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 and put a little want to in them to, to know you. Lord, that they would show up here in our church or in some church somewhere. Lord, and when they, when they come, that they would hear the gospel, that they would hear the entire gospel. Lord, and we know you can do that, and we trust you. And again, it is in your son's name we pray. Amen. And there is um, there's one more thing I want to talk to you about briefly, and that is this coming up weekend, Friday night from 6 to 9, and Saturday morning from 8 to 12, we've got a, a men's weekend. And we've got two, and I, two guest speakers, Cameron Arnett, who you see on the screen, super great guy, who's going to be speaking on, uh, on Saturday. He's going to be on set on Friday night. We've got a, a, a guy named Paul Kohler who is going to speak Friday night. Both of these men have incredible testimonies. And uh, Paul's going to be speaking on Friday night, but we're going to have some really good food on Friday night. We're going to, uh, we're going to have an axe-throwing competition. And I can tell you that Susan, if she sneaks out there, will win that. But uh, so any of you men that want to be shamed by my wife with an axe in her hand, you know, she, she can throw it. But anyway, we're going to have that, and we're going to have a good time Saturday. And I, I want to say this, y'all. 
We're taught, if you're a guy, come, take three hours, and I, I realize the world is, is throwing darts at you and the world is competing for your, for your time with the Lord, but the, this is one weekend out of the year, three hours on Friday night and four hours on Saturday morning. I implore you to come. You can register on the website. It's going to be a great time, good food, fellowship, worship in the Lord, and hearing two amazing testimonies from two very godly men. So if you just go to our website, you can register there. So let's jump into where we're heading today. You know, we have, again, we have been walking through the book of Acts for a year. The Lord led us to jump out of that for some period of time. This is the fourth week where we're going we're gonna to dive in again into prayer. We've been doing that for three weeks. This is the fourth week. You know, we interrupted Acts a month or so ago to do this, and, and we're going to talk through prayer until the Holy Spirit leads us to, to jump back into the, into the book of Acts. And one of the reasons is this. Our country, let's just say this, our city, our state, our country, and the world is in desperate need of the Lord to, to begin a, rub, a revival. And every great revival in the history of mankind, the, wh wherever it happened, that culture was in total depravity. I don't care when you look back in church history, that's the case. And it all began and was bathed in fervent prayer that the Lord would act, that he would get into time and that he would act. And that is, that is truly, that is our prayer. Because, y'all, we don't like to think about this, but every minute of every day of every week of every year, people die lost. And it should make the body of Christ weep that people die lost. And we need to be praying for that, fervently on our knees praying for that. So we're going to be in the gospel of John. Today. You know what? Let me say one more thing because I forgot. There's two of these in each one of the seats. In your seat, you're either sitting on it or you moved it. But there's two of these in every seat. And, I, and, and let me say this. If, if you feel good about the way that we worship here, if you feel good about the music, if you feel good about the messages, that the messages that are preached from this stage are solid, if you feel good about our kids' program, if you feel good about the missional nature of our church, and I, and I would say you ought to feel good about every bit of that, and if you put in your mind that people die lost every day, take these two cards this week and invite one of your friends, somebody you work with, your next-door neighbor, invite somebody to church. And if they don't want to come to this church, tell them to go to another church, somewhere they need to be in the body of Christ, fellowshipping and worshiping the Lord. So now we're going to be in the Gospel of John. In chapter 13 of John, Jesus and his guys, I want to give you some context. They're in the upper room, and it's right before the feast of uh, Passover. And the Bible says that Jesus knew that his hour, uh, the hour to depart had come. And he's trying to pour into his disciples. He's trying to pour into his guys in these last hours everything that he can. He, wa he does a lot of stuff. He washes his disciples' feet in arguably the, the most humbling, the most amazing act of servanthood ever. He does that. He tells them in that night, he tells them that one of them is going to, at the end of the day, is going to betray him. He gives them that night uh, what he calls a new commandment. And that new commandment is that they should love each other 
just as he loved them. And he says that the world will know, this is huge, he says the world will know that they are his. The world will know that they are his disciples by the way that they love each other. He tells Peter, he says, bro, you're going to deny me three times before it's all over. and, And he's just pouring into his guys because he knows what's coming. And he's been telling them for three years what's coming. They still don't believe him, but he knows what's coming because he's God. That brings us up to chapter 14, and I want to read together. I want to read a little bit of chapter 14 of the Gospel of John. And these are Jesus' words, and they're going to be on red, in red on the screen behind me. I believe they are. Yes, they are. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How could we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And, y'all, that doesn't mean some come to the Father without going through him. It says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that would be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, kind of he's a little exasperated with Philip. He says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And y'all, when people say that Jesus never claimed to be God, it is nonsense. It is all over Scripture. Here's one place right there. Whoever, he says to Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. And then Jesus says one of the most amazing things recorded anywhere in the Gospels. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Like, are you kidding me? Jesus just promised, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Now, in the context of these words, Jesus in chapter 13 um, Jesus had just informed his disciples that he's about to head out, that he is, he's turned to the cross, and he knows what's coming, and he is about to depart from this world. He's leaving the world, and he says he's going to build and furnish heaven as their eternal home. And he had made it abundantly clear that his purpose on earth was to glorify his Father. And he fully, absolutely carried that out every day of his life. So much so that he told Philip, If you've seen me, you've seen my Father. And then Jesus declared that his disciples, those that believed in him, that they would do greater works than than even he had done by the power of the Holy Spirit whom he promises to send. 
He said these works would be accomplished by praying in his name. It's the name of the message today, praying in Jesus' name. It's, an, it's astonishing. It really is astonishing, this, this radical promise that is jam-packed with reward that he's going to do, this is what it says, that he is going to do whatever we ask in his name. Well, what in the world does that mean? And and I'm going to say this, I don't know about you, but but I'm thinking with a reward like that, I want to know what he meant when he said that. That call to pray in Jesus' name, it begs us to consider a few timeless biblical principles. The first one is this, praying in his name. It means acknowledging that his death and resurrection alone have opened prayer's door. His death and resurrection alone have opened prayer's door. In verse 5, Thomas said to Jesus, we got no idea where you're going. How could we possibly know the way? And then in verse 6, Jesus answered him, I am the way. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. The point is that nobody can approach God without placing repentant, saving faith and trust in Jesus. Without him as our righteous mediator, we are enemies of God. But when we, when we place saving faith in him, we become children of God. Everybody on the planet is not a child of God. When we place, you are not born a child of God. When we place saving faith in him, we become a child of God. Last week we looked a little bit at the Lord's Prayer where Jesus taught his disciples to address God as Father. If you remember, he said, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. And that word Father, that, that title Father in, in Hebrew, it's Abba. That, it's like Daddy. That word father, that title father, it, it screams of relationship. And it is a relationship that is only made possible, only made possible through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. In Christ, enemies of God become his friends. In Christ, God's rebels become his followers. In Christ, the devil's children become God's children. Prayer is only possible because the children of God now have access to the Father. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, I think it's verse 17 or 18. He said, through him, talking about Jesus, through him we have access to the Father. And I don't care, Jew, Gentile, black, white, blue, green, purple, rich, poor, all saved sinners have access to God through Christ. All. And you know there is only two kinds of people on the planet, lost sinners and saved sinners. There is not Jew, there is not Greek, there's not Gentile, there's not black, there's not white, there's not gray, there's not yellow, there's not purple. There's lost sinners and saved sinners. And everybody on the planet falls into one of those buckets. And saved sinners have access through the Son to the Father. And it's only possible because Jesus, when you read in the Gospels, Jesus tore the veil of the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. When he offered himself on that cross, he offered himself as a substitutionary sacrifice. And that means he, it, it should have been me on the cross. 
It should have been you on the cross. But he substituted himself for us on that cross. So he offered himself both as a substitutionary sacrifice for sin and as the highest of priests. If you read Hebrews, great book Hebrews, if you read Hebrews chapter 7, it says that he's qualified to be our high priest because he's holy, he's innocent, he's unstained, he's separated from sinners, and he's exalted above the heavens. And as our mediator, he offered himself as a sacrifice. Now, the, the immediate benefit of that, the, the byproduct of that intercession is the access that you and I now have to God through prayer. Hebrews 4 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just like us, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Y'all, when we pray in his name, we come to the Father acknowledging that without the atonement of Christ, without the sacrifice of Christ, without Christ jumping in between, God could not, would not, will not, and won't ever hear one word we say. That's a hard truth. Part of that acknowledgement is recognizing that without being in Christ, we have zero right to utter one word to God. It's like a check. You young people probably don't know what a check is. A check used to come in little books and you write on the check and then it's legal tender to buy something, right? But a check without a signature on it down at the bottom is nothing but a worthless piece of paper. The simple stroke of the pen, that signature gives that check its value. The prayer of a lost poor child of Adam is a pitiful thing in and of itself, but J.C. Ryle writes that once it is endorsed by the hand of the Lord Jesus, it's priceless. It, then it has infinite value because we can come to God through the merit of our Savior alone. Since the signature, Ryle writes this, since the signature on heaven's check is written in the shed blood of Christ, it allows us access to the Father. And if you think about it, honestly, it might be a good thing for us to begin our prayers in Jesus' name instead of always ending them that way. You're, 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 you, you might even say, you might even pray like this, Lord, Lord, I come to you today in, in Jesus' name. I come into your presence recognizing that, that if it weren't for him, my prayers would fall on deaf ears because I got nothing on my own. I bring nothing to the table. I have no righteousness on my own. I got no righteousness on my own by which I could even begin to lay claim to your listening ears, Lord. But I come to you today, and I come to you clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I come to you today because the man on the middle cross said I could come to you. And I'm asking you, Lord, to help me, please. Y'all, that's a humbling approach. It reminds me and you that our sin was so great that it took the death of God's Son to satisfy the wrath of the Father. 
understanding and acknowledging that truth claim that Scripture makes, partially, that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It means to pray in His name. It means praying for what brings God the most glory. What brings God the most glory? Verse 9 of John 14, Jesus said, he's talking to Philip again. He says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus' purpose on earth was to bring glory, to display glory of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writes that Jesus, he said, Jesus is the, the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 or 3 says that he is the radiance of the glory and the exact imprint of his nature, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. And y'all, that word that's used there in the Greek, it's the same word that when they made coins. They have a coin with Caesar's head on it. The, the stamping of one coin after the next that look identical, it's the same word that the writer of Hebrews uses to say that he is the the exact imprint of his nature. Verse 13, again of John 14, whatever this crazy radical promise, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Everything he did brought glory to God. All the time, he intentionally deflected it from him back to his Father. You remember when he told Philip in verse 10, he said, the words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So if I do anything in the name of Jesus, I do it in the same way that, that he did it. If I ask for anything in his name, means to ask, hear this now, to ask for what will bring out the greatest display of God's authority and God's power when the Bible speaks of, of God's name, God's name, it's everything that he is. You look in Scripture and you see the word Lord in all capitals. Yahweh is underneath that in the Hebrew. He told Abraham, excuse me, told Moses, I am that I am. Yahweh, Adonai is what the Hebrews would have said. But everything that's packed into that name, y'all, his character, his attributes, his nature, everything about who he is is in his name and what he displays concerning himself. God's name is all that he is and God's glory is the display for all of us to see all of who he is. His name and his glory go hand in hand. They're tied together. They're used interchangeably. Look in the Psalms. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. David says here in Psalm 8 that God's name is majestic. Well, how do we know that? Because he displayed it, his glory. His glory is what we see, and what we see reveals his name and all that he is to us. Psalm 79 says, Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. The psalmist is praying for God's deliverance, and he's not just praying for his deliverance, period. No, he's praying for God's deliverance so that God's glory would display, be on display for the world to see so that more people would come into a relationship with him. Psalm 102, 
says, nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear his glory. Those two phrases in Psalm 102, they're saying the same thing in two different ways. God's name and his glory are interchangeable. Let's look at one more. Could go on and on running through the Psalms. Look at Psalm 148. It says, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven. We are called to praise the Lord because his name and because his glory are exalted or lifted up high above the heavens and the earth. So you think about what what is it that you and I should do when we realize the ways that God makes his presence and his power known to us. We should praise him. We should praise him. We should let the world see us praise him. Why? Why? so that he alone would receive the glory and more people would come to know him. All right, so what does that mean in relation to the stuff that we bring to God in prayer? Well, to pray in Jesus' name means to pray for what will bring him the very most glory. It is to pray, Lord, in my little limited mind, in my little finite, feeble little mind and understanding, this is... Lord, this is what I want you to do. But since my knowledge is minimal and my knowledge is finite, I don't know that if this will bring you the most glory or not. Therefore, I pray in Jesus' name. That is, I pray for what will show and display your splendor and your majesty and your glory. My desire, think about it, if we prayed this every day to the Lord, My desire is that your answer will do a work in me that will produce a crystal clear image of your character and who you are to the folks that I run into all the time. That they would look at me. Lord, I pray that my friends and my family would look at me and they would see you. They would look at me serving or helping or praying with and they would see you. That I would reflect you to this lost world. Remember that promise in John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll... I'll do it so that my Father can be glorified. When we find ourselves praying for something that maybe we want more than, than anything else that we've ever wanted, can we honestly pray, Lord, just do what will bring you the most glory? Are me and you willing to submit to the supremacy of God's glory over our own selfish desires? You know, only God knows whether our particular requests are in agreement with his name and his glory. But you and I got to get ourselves, y'all, to the place where we desire his glory more than our pleasures. James says in chapter 4 of the epistle, of James' epistle, he says, you ask and you don't receive because you ain't asking right. You're asking to spend it on yourself. You're asking to spend it on your own wants and desires and pleasures. And I'm telling y'all, praying for what will bring God the most glory, it results in a couple of different things. Displays of God's glory call his creation to praise him, me and you, to praise him. I said it a minute ago that That God's name and his glory should always evoke praise from you and I. In particular, in the Old Testament, 
it foretold the praise that God would receive when Israel and Judah were restored to him. Look at Jeremiah 33. It says, And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity that I provide for it. And before you start going down the prosperity road, that word that is translated in Jeremiah prosperity has nothing to do with material wealth. Zero. It's the word shalom. Better translated peace or welfare. Nothing to do with the false sort of gospel of the health and wealth and, and money and all that. That is not at all, that is not at all what the Lord is writing in there. But I know that God does what he does in order to display his glory so others will see it and benefit from it and heap praise upon him accordingly. Because of that, here's another, our, the way that we ought to probably pray. Lord, I want you to answer my prayer to cause more people to heap praise on you. Right on the heels of praying for his glory in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, Through him, Jesus, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What, what God does to reveal himself to us, to reveal his name to us, ought to generate our praise. Again, this is partially what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And then displays of his glory just reek of his goodness. His goodness just drips off of it. Moses said in Exodus 33, verse 18, simply, he just said, Lord, please show me your glory. And then God said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious and merciful to whoever I decide I'll be gracious and merciful to. God equates his name with goodness. His name is not just a title. Y'all, it's not just a title. It's not just a label that we add on to the end or the beginning of a prayer. It is who he is. His name is holy and his name is righteous. And y'all, when it comes out of our mouth, you've got to know that. You've got to know that. His name is, it is his very essence. It is everything he is, his attributes and his nature. So to pray in Jesus' name is to desire that others would see his goodness and see his grace and see his mercy and see his compassion. It's to be rock steady confident that whatever God does for his children will be for his glory and ultimately will be a display that he is good to us. He is good to us. Even when we don't feel it, he's good to us. Even when I feel down, he is good to me. We can rest in this truth claim that Scripture makes that our, our Heavenly Father only does what is good for us. And y'all, that's tough to get our arms around. Like, I get it. When the doctor says it's malignant, I get it. But that's when he puts his arm around you. That's when you get up in his lap and let him love on you. When you're in the heat of, a, of the battle with your kid or your mom or your dad or your husband or your wife, when the boss says, I'm sorry, i got to let you go, 
even when all the junk that life throws at all of us, because it does, he is so good to us. And I know it's hard to get our arms around, but like, I want to get myself to the point where I can say, Lord, I, I don't understand. I just don't understand what this trial is about. Lord, I don't, I don't understand what the doctor just said. I don't understand why I'm going through all of this. I don't even comprehend, Lord, what you're trying to teach me through the suffering right now. I just, I don't, I don't understand it. But I want to be able to say, but I recognize one thing. You are my father. And you would never, ever, ever do anything to harm me. And I'm not saying that we don't cry out because in our fallen nature, it's just, it's just human nature to say, Lord, why? So I'm not saying that, that you're a freak if you do that. But you can rest in the truth that if you are a Christ follower, he is your father. And he would never, ever, ever do anything to harm you. He will only do things that are good for us. But I also want to get myself to a place where I can say somehow or other, Lord, I know that you're going to take all of this, you're going to stir it up in a pot, and you're going you're to bring something good out of it, you're going to bring glory to yourself, whether or not I get to understand it in this life. You've got you to know that. We very well may not get to know, get to see what he does in this life. Our healing sometimes... Our healing sometimes is he calls us home, and we're healed. It just doesn't always happen in this life, but it does not change his nature. If he is your father, he loves you. If you leave here today with only one truth, know that your heavenly father loves you more than anybody ever in a gajillion years could, and he only wants good for you. Again, that's partially what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Praying in his name means praying in total submission to his revealed will. In total surrender and total submission to his will. Jesus makes that radical promise in verse 14 of John 14 that if we ask him anything in his name, he'll do it. He goes on in verse 15 and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The revealed will of God is in this book. It is not found in our own subjective thoughts. The revealed will of God is not found in our own subjective feelings. The revealed will of God is not found in my own subjective logic or mind. God's will is revealed in this book. We got to be in this book. It's His Word, it is inspired, it is holy, and He has guarded it and protected it for three or 4,000 years and got it down here to us. And his will is in there. Jesus makes it super clear that if we really love him, we'll listen to what he says and we'll do it. But you know, we don't, we don't remain obedient. We don't become obedient as Christ followers by our own, by our own power. He promises in verse 16, he says that, says that he'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Holy Spirit 
living inside of me, the Holy Spirit living inside of every born-again, new creation, Christ follower that has ever lived, the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us according to the mind, Scripture tells us, according to the mind of Christ, which is revealed in the words of this book. Y'all, we should be people of the book. We should be digging in, diving in, studying, praying over the Word. The Word will lead us to the one who wrote it. Again, he promises in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you into the very mind of Christ. Revelation chapter 19 tells us that when Jesus returns in all of his splendor and all of his power and all of his majesty and all of his glory that he will be called the Word of God. He is the living Word who has revealed his will in the written word. The written word declares his name. That connection between his name and his word is seen in the praise that he gives in Revelation chapter 3, this little church in Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus talking to the church at Sardis. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one can shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Man, if Jesus would say that about us. You have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. He tells them you have not denied my name. To not deny is to keep and to not be ashamed. Jesus saying the same thing, in two different ways, the church kept his name by keeping his word, and they kept his word by not denying his name. And as a result, they experienced God's power. If God's name is all that he is, and the word of God is the mind of God in written form, then the name of God is synonymous with the word of God. First John chapter 5, that connection is there as well. Look at starting in verse 11, it says, and this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. According to John, the person who believes in the name of Jesus is the same as the person who believes the testimony about Jesus revealed in Scripture. To believe the testimony in Scripture is to believe Jesus. To believe Jesus is to believe the testimony. So to pray in the name of Jesus is to pray in accordance with the Word of God, with His testimony. When we say in His name, it's got to line up with Scripture. It is critical that we understand that because our prayers can be like so subjective. A Christ follower can never, ever rightly pray in Jesus' name for something that's in contradiction to the Scripture. We can't pray to God and at the same time demand our own way. We can't ignore what the Word says and then add the three 
quote, magical words in Jesus' name, thinking somehow that we bent God's arm behind his back to answer us according to our will. It's not about our will. It's about his will. It's not, Lord, put a new Mercedes in my driveway in Jesus' name. It's not, Lord, I need a new Learjet. It'll get me to here and there faster in Jesus' name. No, that's not. it's got to line up with the word of God. It's got to be his will, not, not our will. Prayer's not intended to produce a change in God. It's intended to produce a change in us. Prayer doesn't pull God down to us like he's on a string. It draws us up to him. It draws us near to his throne of grace. To pray in his name means to pray in agreement with who he is and the way that scripture reveals him and displays out in the world of his glory. All of that is revealed in the word. Acceptable prayer flows like a river from a heart that submits and surrenders to the authority of his word. Y'all, you and I as, as followers of the risen Christ, we can, by the Holy Spirit, ask him in prayer under the umbrella of his will that is revealed in Scripture to do anything that will bring God glory, bring honor to his name, and he'll do it. Under the umbrella of his revealed will and to bring him glory. And I know that's a strong statement. I swear I know it is. Let me make another strong statement. In Jesus' name is not some three-word formula attached to the end of our prayers that somehow mechanically secures God's stamp of approval on every request we make. That is not what it means. No, 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 no. Instead, praying in, in his name, praying in Jesus' name is an image of a person's recognition of God's grace in Christ and the submission of, of his or her heart and mind and emotions and will to the will of God for the glory of God. It's surrender. And that's the hardest thing for us to do. It's submitting to his will because the world and all the world's systems and the devil and all his little scumbag minions they are screaming and bombarding us every day with it's about you, it's about you, it's about you. Well, it's not. It's about him, it's about him, it's about him, it's about him. It's about his will, not my will. My will's got to surrender to him. I've got to submit to him. In Jesus' name, not a magical phrase that somehow guarantees that our every prayer will be answered in accordance with our wants and our desires and maybe even our health, earthly health on the planet. It just doesn't always work that way. Believers get heart disease. Believers have cancer. Can God heal and does God heal and do miracles happen? Absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I got a friend, he was at our last men's conference last year had a tumor the size of his fist in his, in his throat, had esophageal cancer, had a CAT scan or a PET scan, gigantic tumor. Three weeks later, he went back to the doctor and it was gone. Doctor said, that can't be right. We got to do another, another, whatever it is, CAT scan. It's gone. Miracles happen. I get it. I get, I get it. But it, it cannot be about our will 
We have got to submit to him. Praying in his name, it's this honest, humble acknowledgement. And this is a tough one too, but it's true that we are unable to utter one acceptable word to God absent the intercession of Jesus Christ. True, real, authentic prayer is a heartfelt surrender to God's good and perfect will which leads ultimately to a display of His glory in our lives. That is what praying in Jesus' name is. That's why He could make that claim. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Because it's me and you surrendering to His will and ultimately the display of His glory in our lives. And you know what? It works because when people see that, when people see that, arguably when a when an unbeliever sees a Christ follower walk through some horrific thing and God is displayed in that. Like I told you all about our friends that Susan works with in, in the Kendrick Brothers movies that lost one of their, they lost their son at a year old. And to watch that young couple walk through that, y'all, I can't imagine how many people are going to be in heaven because they watched the way that they walked through arguably the worst possible thing that could ever happen on this earth. I can't even imagine walking through that. I can't even imagine it. And they walked through it with displaying the grace of God. It was, un, it was just unbelievable. It displayed His glory. And it was a, a, you know, an horrific time. But that's why Jesus can say, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That's what it means. I said this a little while ago. And this is a hard statement, but it's a truth claim that Scripture makes all over the place. We are not born children of God. We are born children of the devil. And that's just a hard, tough truth. But it's not difficult. It's not some complicated formula to go from being a child of the devil to a child of the one true king. It's really a simple thing. It's not a complex thing. It may not be easy, but it's not a complex thing. Y'all, that's one of the responses for us today. If, if you have never said yes to that, if you have never acknowledged your own sinfulness and repented of that, turned away from it and turned towards the Lord confessed that and believed that the, the death that sacrificial death of God's son that I talked about a minute ago that that took care of that sin debt if you've never done that please let, the, let today be the day at a minimum don't let tomorrow come without really 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 considering that I want to pray for that and then we're going to share in the Lord's Supper Lord, we love, to you, love you today. And Lord, we come to you today humble. Lord, we come to you only because of your death, because your death and your resurrection opened the door to prayer. And so we come to you today because you said we got a right to come. And Lord, we're taking advantage of that right. And Lord, if today is a day for somebody listening, watching online, or in this room 
and they've never said yes to that, Lord, let today be the day that they do. Lord, let today be the day that they repent, turn away from it, turn towards you, believe that you died on the cross, and Lord, let them cry out for you to save them. And you've never said no to anybody yet. And so, Lord, we do love you and we do thank you, and it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Y'all, our prayer corner moved from the back of the room to over here. If you need prayer, please, if you, if you need somebody to pray with you, pray for you. Somebody will be over there. Lord, we invite you to the cross. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper and Holy Communion right now. And so let me see if I can orchestrate this a little bit. If you're sitting behind that column on either side, please go to that back table. We've got three stations. And so I want to call the guys up that are going to serve uh, communion, if you would. And if you're on this side in front of the column, if you can come over here. And if you're on that side, of the, uh, on that side in front of the column, come right here. Did I make that more difficult than it should be? All right. <laughs>